Welcome to Diplomacy, the podcast for communications in mergers and acquisitions, brought to you by Corporate Diplomat. With our guests, we will discuss how the financial, economic, political and social context can actually impact the value created by a transaction. My name is Louis de Schallemer, and I will be your host. Jeff, welcome and thank you. This is not the first conversation we have together, but it is the first one that is recorded and it is the first one on mergers and acquisitions. You're French-American, you graduated with an MBA from Stanford and you joined Disneyland Paris back in 92 and have done a number of opening and leading position roles in there. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about yourself and who you are and what you do today? Sure. Good to be with you, uh, Louis. As you say, we're in a completely different context and format. Yes, after um, a long career on Wall Street, and then with Apple Computer, that followed 25 years with Disneyland Paris in different executive functions. Over the past three and a half years, I've built a portfolio of activities around coaching and mentoring young entrepreneurs, teaching at the master levels, including in the areas of business development and entrepreneurship, and international conferencing on questions like crisis communications, reputation, and CSR. Great. Thank you, Jeff. In your career, you already just mentioned the business approach that you have. Let me start with the other side of, of the business. In your career, at some stage, you mentioned that creativity is at the heart of everything you do or we do. How does that fit with business and how does that fit in mergers and acquisitions? Tell us a little bit more. Well, indeed, uh, that quote certainly uh, to me would have come most likely from my career at Disney. Uh, and we did want to place our creativity at the heart of our business. Disney is a creative company. I do try to bring it to my uh, career as well. Uh, and that has allowed me, among other qualities, I, I trust, uh, to make these moves from the corporate life and now into the uh, mentoring and conferencing uh, areas. I'm confronted particularly now, I would say, with the need and the presence of creativity and working with these young startups. Clearly, creativity is a significant part of being a startup, but it's not the only part. Creativity without uh, truly sensitivity to the market, uh, to understanding client needs, will only remain creativity. And then we need to go just that step further and go from creativity, find the market fit, and move truly into innovation. So I encourage that among all of my startups, uh, that they move from the idea to the actual execution, focused execution. Is that a cultural aspect or is that a mentality? How do you create this kind of spirit of innovation? How do you create this cultural aspect? I'd say it's certainly um, inherent to many individuals. and Creativity is present in all of us. Our school systems tend to at times, and probably even some of the corporate life, can uh, format people and uh, the creativity tends to get diminished. But uh, with my startups, it's already part, I would say, of, for the most part of their uh, ADN. And the way to encourage it is to really challenge them and have them challenge themselves and challenge their ideas by going to the market, openly listening to uh, the uh, clients, prospects, uh, to understand what are their needs, not how to pitch their product. That will come later. But it's mm -hmm. to try to understand truly what are their needs, what's driving them, what is the reality today in order to see and test if the idea, the, uh, the offer that a startup might be working on uh, actually has a fit 
with those needs. When you look back into also the corporate life that you have seen and, and other organizations, this corporate culture is something that is very often mentioned also in mergers and acquisitions as a source of conflict. How do you build a corporate culture and how do you transform it? You have led large teams with multiple nationalities, with people from various backgrounds. How do you create this common denominator? It's one of the most critical part, I think, of a successful company. And it's also the most difficult and the most subtle aspect of running a company. I think it's created on many levels. First of all, it starts with a, a sense of the, the why, the mission of the company, which is shared through a vision that the leadership of the company will have with its employees. So I think it starts really from the heart, uh, from the top. Uh, but then it um, tends to be organic. And the vision that can be set up needs to be confirmed in the actual practices in place in the company. And this is always a challenge. I mean, it's one thing to, to write a mission or vision statement. It's another to uh, live it day to day. So the culture is that uh, the glue that uh, keeps uh, people in line, I would say, or committed to the purpose that the company has declared. The culture also gets declared by or developed through um, symbols, storytelling, usually about uh, charismatic founder, actual or in the past. And these uh, stories tend to be told uh, at uh, companies arrive, when people arrive in the company and also um, in the day-to-day -day operations of the company. So the actual um, culture gets lived out uh, by those stakeholders and primarily, I would say, the internal stakeholders although it does get reinforced also by external stakeholders, including consumers, clearly, as well as suppliers, all of the external stakeholders. The media have a role to play with it as well. But putting emphasis on what they see, what they, uh, through the actions of the company, the key uh, values of the company. So it starts from the center, but it actually is, uh, is borne by the, all of the stakeholders, internal and external. So basically, if a culture shapes the operating mode of an organization, is that what it goes for? Well, yes, because I think you'll have the uh, behavioral um, norms within the company. But there is that day-to-day -day living of the company that actually uh, how, how are the, um, the mission and the vision get articulated. Yeah, this is what keeps the company uh, moving forward. Uh, not everything can be written down in the and the uh, practices that uh, a company expects its employees to have. So much of this goes from the written, shall we say, to the oral tradition. And so uh, in M&A, clearly we're talking about um, companies, organisms that are really by nature are going to be quite different. They have their own personalities. And the success for me of a, uh, a merger and acquisition would really depend on the ability and the day-to-day but to bring out the best, and if it's a merger uh, and with two strong cultural identities, then um, it's how do you keep the strengths of both working together or aside each other to articulate the most value for the company. So it's a real challenge. Um, I think it's one of the key challenges. Um, you don't want to acquire, shall we say, a company who is known for a certain culture, a very creative culture, whatever, a very innovative culture. And with the uh, purchasing entity taking a hand on that company and trying to impose its own culture, uh, that can be risky uh, simply mm -hmm. because uh, you lose 
what you were trying to purchase in the first place. You mentioned before the role and the responsibility of, of leadership in creating and crafting this vision. So if I hear you well, basically you're suggesting that during M&A, it is really then when leadership has to be even more visible, more exposed, and embrace even stronger this new vision, whatever it is, it be the merged vision or uh, an enhanced vision of the original, whatever it is, but really making sure that leadership plays that role. Have you experienced that or how do you see that on the ground? What does that mean? For sure, uh, leadership always has to be present in the company. Um, successful companies are so because leadership does articulate a clear vision, a vision that uh, can mobilize all stakeholders, once again, in the first place, uh, its own employees. It's uh, particularly true in mergers and acquisitions. The leader needs to articulate what that vision of why this decision, why this action to merge or to acquire uh, will bring additional value to the future of the now merged entity or the acquired and the companies. So yes, leadership has that role. Once again, it's enhanced during M&A period, simply because the merged culture, and they can remain separate, but the culture of this now merged entity needs to be articulated. And since it's not been lived out yet, it's the role of leadership to provide that vision as to the why this was the right decision, why it was the better off. Uh, there's a test called out that's uh, generally used in M&A called the better off. Uh, and it mm. simply says, are we truly going to be better off as a merged entity or as acquired part of the company? And it's the role of leadership to articulate as to why we will be better off. You mentioned earlier that you're teaching business development. Mm -hmm. If businesses have to develop and what you're teaching, how do you recommend the split between organic and external growth? Is it the 80-20 uh, rate or, <laughs> or how do you advise or what is your advice when you talk about that? Well, I do use the better off test as well as this, what is also known as the ownership test. And it's entities typically perform better independently. However, there comes a time when the intensity of the relationship, typically, or there could be prior to a period of uh, M&A, a period where both entities are strategic partners working together. And at some point, the level of exchange, the level of work that is done together simply becomes too complex to do it contractually, as it has been in the past. And the time could come when um, the decision is taken, looking at the difficulty of contracting all of the aspects of the relationship between these two entities, where it becomes just makes more sense to acquire or to merge. You did within your career also work on all of the financial aspects. You were leading the financial department, if I remember well. I was a financial controller. Financial controller. How, how important is financial controlling and cost controlling in M&A? How much do you know in advance and how much can you keep control on costs and how, what is the role to play for cost controlling? This is a delicate uh, role. It's a critical role. I say it's uh, delicate because clearly 
often one of the uh, elements that drove the decision to merge or acquire comes from the, the notion of efficiencies, being able to produce at least as much as the addition of the two entities were doing. And the idea is to, to produce more, but certainly at lower costs. And uh, the difficulty uh, clearly with the lower costs, it frequently uh, involves some form of uh, redundancies. And that's a difficult situation for any leadership team. We were talking about the need to provide vision. Charismatic leaders will do that. But it's also very difficult to share that new vision of the emerged and acquired company when in the day-to-day, those who really live out the culture most intensely, once again, the employees, are under pressure and are facing uh, some of these uh, redundancies. And it's this is a very, a very difficult time. So the, uh, yes, the uh, controllership role, the, the legal and, and financial control of uh, the uh, not only the acquisition, but the work that goes on post-acquisition is critical. That's the reason typically the merger uh, exists. But it's also um, a great strain on the culture of the company because of the layoffs that will occur often, uh, not always, but often. It depends on the structure of the uh, merger or acquisition. And the fact that employees, those who are going to suffer the redundancies, or those who remain behind, there is a certain, there's a great risk of a lack of confidence in the vision. It's somehow, I'm sure many live up that experience as a form of betrayal of the commitment they had made to, to the company. And once again, it's true not only for those who suffered directly from the, uh, the layoff, but also for those who uh, remain behind. It's a very difficult role. It's a, it's a role, though, that's critical for the success, at least the financial success. A good leader uh, will have to... Uh, assume and explain uh, the why um, and do so, uh, the why of the layoffs, do so together with his or her team uh, in a way that as best possible, those who are impacted have options that make that transition for them the smoothest possible and allow them to, uh, to rebound after. But it's critical. It's absolutely critical because uh, the success of that merged entity or the acquired uh, the acquisition will depend a lot of the, on those first weeks and months on how um, the management of the transition uh, took place from every point of view, financial and human, of course. In the recent uh, time, you have spoken about a number of engagements with young entrepreneurs. You have also been, I would say, critical in developing CSR uh, throughout your career. You, I think you have spent quite a lot of energy and effort and thinking and brain work to make something happen and to really start moving off. How do you define CSR today? How do you see the importance it can play for an organization? And how would CSR play throughout the change or emergent acquisition? Ways? And you mentioned the earlier stakeholders. What is it that CSR can, where can it make a real difference? Well, CSR, I think, is now uh, in many companies. We've uh, evolved from uh, several, uh, say, 10, 15 years ago, where uh, one could argue that many programs were, were put in place uh, simply to do um, uh, some uh, window dressing for the company, trying to pass over what might be uh, not um, the best practices, whether it be they be environmental or even uh, even labor practices. And I think now, for many reasons, we're not there completely yet. But CSR has evolved to the point where there is true engagement, hopefully at the leadership level. And we've certainly seen 
examples of uh, leadership who uh, is committed to that. I think CSR is also very important for um, the employee attachment, engagement with the company. It's often been said, but I, I'm living it. I, I spend a great deal of time not only with young entrepreneurs, but also with master level students. And uh, I truly see their, um, their strong commitment to uh, environmental and social issues. And so uh, to hire uh, simply good talent, but as we say, the best talent out there, incredible CSR engagement that actually is articulated by the leadership team, but it has lived out in actual day-to-day operations. It's self something that's being uh, driven as well by the stakeholders themselves. I've started with the, the, t- the employees or the, even the candidates. So that we know is important. Uh, we know that the uh, NGOs are also very important in assuring that companies respect their engagement. In many countries now, there's even legal requirements to at least uh, annually announce their uh, commitment in the uh, environmental, uh, social, and and governance area. So there are many within the uh, corporate ecosystems, many reasons why CSR is becoming increasingly embedded. And I think the most important issue I would come back to and linked to the uh, mergers and acquisition is the fact that when uh, there is a corporate culture with a, a promise and uh, trying to mobilize employees around a vision. This can be under heavy strain uh, under crises and particularly in the labor crisis that can follow a merger and acquisition. And uh, if the layoffs are not, the redundancies are not handled appropriately, it's always a difficult time, but if they're not handled appropriately, there will be a huge conflict between what stakeholders, internal stakeholders have understood the company's commitments to be, including in the area of how they treat their own employees. And that uh, can truly impact very negatively the success or not uh, of an acquisition. If there is too much of an inconsistency between what the vision had been in the area of CSR, because as we know, the social responsibility starts at home as we speak. It starts with the employees. So in that sense, CSR is kind of paying forward. Is that the terminology that you would use? Well, there isn't clearly an element of the forward-looking commitment of a company. Engagements in CSR don't necessarily have an ROI that's a short-term, not all of them, at least. So it is clearly a company who has a credible CSR program typically is viewed by stakeholders, the markets, financial markets themselves, as a company who has a vision. We know that companies remain under pressure for their quarterly results, but in parallel with the focus on the quarterly results, a strong CSR uh, commitment that is truly lived out and is uh, confirmed by the actions of the company shows at the same time a vision for a longer-term commitment, clearly to its own results. But the CSR is showing it's, it's committed to its environment, to its stakeholder ecosystem. And this, um, I think, is a, a reason why they typically, uh, CSR companies typically are valued in the marketplace uh, in a stronger way than the non. If we extend that, should the quality of, of CSR be a selection criteria for an acquisition where you say, okay, this company does or does not have sufficiently high standards or practices in place, and you say, no, they're not good enough for us to, to invest in, would you recommend? Or do you see this kind of behavior? We know that it's probably a little bit still a dream world, but 
Do you see the beginnings of this? So we do see investor platforms that do say that you do have to respect the UN development programs and that they are pushing more on that. So yes, it exists on investor basis, but do you see it in, in the common practice or do you see something like that happen? You know, I think it depends very much on what, if this is an acquisition where the acquiring company stands uh, with respect to CSR. If uh, a company has a strongly articulated, credible CSR commitment that is, and is about to embark on an acquisition, there's no doubt that this vision has been communicated through its stakeholder ecosystem. And I'm sure that uh, it, during the decision process of acquiring or not, that element is absolutely essential because if the company has worked hard to develop their initial credible CSR program, acquiring a company that is viewed or in reality simply is just the opposite and doesn't have this commitment, many good years building a company's reputation will be lost by uh, the fact that there's a, a shock to the system. Um, stakeholders will not understand why a company who articulated a certain vision could imagine acquiring a company that is known for not respecting its uh, engagement. So again, it really depends on where you're starting from. But if you have a credible uh, program, this would have to be an element. In the young entrepreneurs that you're supporting today, do you still see that everybody wants to create her own, his own company rather than buying something that exists. We all know that the baby boomers are selling. So basically, we should believe that there is a huge market of SMEs for sale. And yet most of young entrepreneurs believe that they need to find the great idea and they will make a breakthrough with something. Is that not contradictive? Because financially, it is possible to find support from banks, from investors to help take over. It's not an easy one, but it is possible. How do you see that? Well, I think working significantly now, a great part of my time with entrepreneurs at different levels of their evolution, startups are known, those who are successful at least, for going from creativity to innovation. They typically are the greatest source of innovation in the world today, whether in, in technology, they, they bring the, uh, the new technologies uh, to, to the corporate world, in health, at any rate, most of the innovation occurring today are coming from these startups. And, and that's the reason, their the raison d'etre. And why they're not acquiring companies or merging, although some of them do move to that decision ultimately, it's simply because the fear of losing that innovative culture. In fact, I find the M&A world has changed uh, or evolved. And I think one of the areas in which we're seeing uh, growth is the acquisition of startups, scale-ups, that now have a certain level of uh, revenue base, employee base, and, and a presence in the market uh, by large corporations who themselves, because of their process, perhaps because of a corporate culture, often linked to the processes uh, within the company, despite great efforts in R&D and innovation labs, typically look to the scale-up sphere to find that innovation. And so the acquisition occurs more from that point of view, the corporations actually acquiring the startups after having worked with them for some time. So startups themselves are looking to keep, I think, that, that small, agile approach to their work the acquisition and mergers typically come more from the large company acquiring it in order to acquire that innovation. 
the dream of the great exit <laughs> yes, well, yeah. is, pushing, is pushing the entrepreneurs. Some of them. Uh, honestly, I think, uh, yes, uh, clearly the great exit is very attractive. But many also want to just believe in their company and, and uh, could exit earlier than they do simply because they want to continue to lead companies and lead the innovation in the area that they have their expertise Jeff, you are somebody who combines pretty extraordinarily the human and uh, the emotional aspect together with an extremely strong, sharp knife and rational thinking. How do you define success in M&A? Getting to success in M&A, I think, requires both that human element, sensitivity, cultures, consistency in the articulated vision and the actual execution of um, the acquisition. So there is the human element is clearly important and that's supported by communications, ongoing clear communications, being willing to clearly identify the uh, changes that are going to occur, the disruptions that will occur. And at the same time, in order to be able to communicate this clearly, you do need to have razor sharp uh, analysis of uh, where are the right areas that need to be cut, merged, uh, so that uh, the financial returns, the efficiencies that had been thought through during the uh, planning phase actually come to life. So the razor shop, as you say, thinking occurs not just as we're preparing the deal, but as we continue to manage the deal and to be clear on where we are, are the gains there, are we putting pressure on the system uh, to be able to reap the benefits that were anticipated, but to do so in a way that the corporate culture does not become a hindrance to its success, but rather as much as possible becomes an additional asset to, 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 the, uh, to the success. I tend to say that communications is an art and a science. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff, thank you for this conversation. Thank you for the ideas. Thank you for your input. Any last thought that you would want to give us and our listeners on the way? Well, I think yeah, the, I just want to come back very uh, briefly on the importance of the CSR component in the M&A success. And I think while it was should always have been there, I think uh, clearly now it is uh, there more than ever. Companies are being held accountable for their decisions uh, to acquire or to merge particularly when it comes to the way they manage the transition, the new model with respect to all of its uh, stakeholders. And once again, primarily its internal stakeholders, but it also applies to the consumers. So I would say um, CSR has, uh, is with us. Most companies, they're evolving to a point where it's embedded within the company. But clearly when it comes to uh, M&A, CSR has an important role to play. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of Diplomacy. Please explore our website www.corporate-diplomat.com or our LinkedIn page. I hope you have enjoyed. Feel free to subscribe and hit the follow button. Have a great day.